Good morning, everyone. Welcome to day 11 of the 7 a.m. Novelist March March Writing Challenge. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Today we have Austin or A.E. Osworth talking to us about joy first drafting. Good morning, Austin. Good morning. So happy. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on our show. I love it. Uh, A.E. Osworth is a transgender novelist whose debut, We Are Watching Eliza Bright, was long listed for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, the Brooklyn Public Library. Literary Prize and the Tournament of Books. It was a finalist for the Oregon Book Award. Did quite well there, Austin, I think. Uh, They are currently a visiting assistant professor at the Ohio Ohio State University, where they teach both fiction and nonfiction. Their next book, Awakened, about a coven of transgender witches fighting artificial intelligence with magic, is forthcoming from Grand Central Publishing in March 2025. That sounds fabulous. Thank you so much, Austin. All right. All right. So Austin, when I put out the word about trying to contact writers and I kind of left it open, I said, what craft topic are you excited about? What do you want to talk about? And Austin said, I want to talk about joy first drafting. And when I immediately heard that, I was like, oh my God, that sounds fabulous. So Austin, what is joy first drafting? Did you discover it? How did you, how do you come to it in your teaching and how do you use it in your own writing? Awesome. Thank you so much for that question. Um, so joy first drafting, um, it came about because writing is my absolute favorite thing in the whole world. Um, and, but what I noticed is that I got an MFA, I got an MFA from the new school. It was an amazing experience, but, um, among the cohort, uh, there was often this sort of assumption that you kind of had to be tortured um, in order to make good art. Uh, and that I don't think is unique to the new school's cohort. I think that that's a pretty pervasive myth um, yeah. that like your art is somehow better if you're really, really sad um, or if you are, have circumstances around you that are causing you um, anything from just minor strife to hardcore marginalization. And that's simply not my experience in terms of when my work is actually at its best. Um, so I, I, it took me a long time to figure that out too, because that myth is so, so pervasive. Um, and so when I did figure it out, I actually enjoy first drafting as a play on first drafting. Um, so it was something that I started teaching when I realized like, oh, um, this might not be obvious to everybody. Um, that you can have a really great time and you can be following your heart and your magic um, while you're first drafting might not be something that is commonly talked about, readily accessible. Like I might not be saying something here that people have heard a lot. Um, now I'm absolutely saying something here that people have said before. I'm by far and away not the only person advocating to have a good time while you write. I can think of just off the top of my head, Julia Cameron with The Artist Way, which uh, is very popular with the morning pages and the artist dates. That's at its core about having a good time. Big Magic um, by Elizabeth Gilbert has a similar argument. Plenty of people on this planet um, have talked about this. Where what I have sort of come to though is that um, my version of this Joy First drafting includes nonlinear writing. So you jump in where you want to that morning, that afternoon, whenever you write. Um, And you don't necessarily sit down and hammer out a novel starting at the beginning and ending at the end. Mm -hmm. If you're really amped on like the first like minor climax 
and that's the image that you have in your head, get that down. You don't have to get there first. There's no prescription for that. Um, so when I teach Joy First Drafting, one of the big things we do is the first week of the, uh, like of the course, however long it is, we spend daydreaming only. And, <laughs> and that's writing. That's part of it. Um, you can't pour from an empty cup. So you got to fill the cup up somehow. Um, and so I encourage people to have a whole bunch of different implements with which they take notes and to magpie all these things that are giving them inspiration about the novel that they're writing. Or it, this can work really with any kind of book. I just happen to teach most often um, fiction and, and novel writing. So do you, do you know Robert Olden Butler's um, book called Dream Storming? I don't. Okay, so you might want to look at it, though he, he tends to be a little bit salty, particularly <laughs> when it comes to non-literary non writing, but, and I actually didn't, I had this book on my shelf for, I don't know, years before I finally took it down because I th thought the um, the title was stupid, but um, <laughs> but it really, he has a whole chapter about a writer prepares, and he really goes into this process between it's 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 kind of between what they call pantsing and plotting. It's kind of an intuitive kind of plotting, but you're really in this dream state state, and you're really in this intuitive state, and you don't try to organize it or make sense of it or edit it or reject anything. You just kind of let yourself go. And he'll do that. He wrote all of his novels this way, and he'll spend several weeks doing that. So it sounds like you in your workshops, you start off with something similar. So he, he what he does is he has them like take take down notes, like like a quick like description of the action or something, and then and then and then put them on cards, and then he has them organize them. So it sounds like you use different kinds of props though to get your students and your writers thinking and going. Is that right? Indeed, um, and it's different for everybody. A person might you know have a whole bunch of articles on the topic that they're writing about and that's enough to like light them up and kick them off. Another person might walk around their city and take a bunch of photos and then post them up around their computer. It's different for everybody. It's whatever whatever gets the the brain juices flowing. Um, and uh, I also have a series of like um, questions that I might ask. So one of them, like uh, like there's a whole big list of them and one of them is someone is yelling really loudly what are they yelling about what just happened like that kind of thing not all of that is going to make it in but it gets you it just gets you daydreaming yeah um, once we're done that what we do is sort of similar to that I have everyone make a list in no particular order and it's what you talked about with naming actions what I have them do is name them like television episodes like the one <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. so and so does such and such or like if there's a more evocative name um, than that, it doesn't have to make sense to me, I have to make sense to that person. Um, but we do not put it in order is where, where we differ here. Basically what I say is, okay, look down at this list and pick what you're most excited about, nothing else. You don't reorder it, you don't do anything. You put a little star next to the one you're excited about and you do that. And if in the middle you become not excited about it anymore, you go to another thing and it all counts. All of it has to get done. And there is probably a reason that you're not amped on writing that particular thing. So if you just skip it, 
whatever reason that is, if it's a plot hole that you haven't quite figured out yet, or if it's a voice that you haven't quite nailed, whatever you go to next is going to teach you how to write what's missing from that first thing. Interesting. Eventually you'll go back and you'll fill it in. As long as you just keep going, as long as there's momentum, as long as you are just following exactly what you want to do, you're going to wind up discovering stuff about what you've already written that's going to necessarily change it. Um, None of this is going to stay the same because it's first drafting. So approaching it with a real fix it in post mentality just to get your ideas out on the page and figure out what you have, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way forward with at least the way that I do it. Um, this is not, this is not everyone's favorite thing, but it's something that I recommend everyone try at least once. Um, yeah, yeah, I was going to ask. So first off, like, so when I, um, in my own writing and I see this in students, um, I find that they, or I resist scenes that I'm not emotionally ready for, or I just don't have the emotional energy that day to go into it or the character should not be in the book at all. And that part actually just shouldn't be in the book at all. And for some reason, I've, I've convinced myself that I have to write this part, even though it, it really shouldn't exist. And so I just battled with a novel about this. And I just, I just finally realized, you know, this whole character just needs to go because she's just not fun to write. <laughs> but I thought I needed her to hold everything together. Um, but what you're saying is, write other parts and they will give you the solutions yeah. to what you're skipping over. And maybe it would tell you that character doesn't belong or, or you don't even need that. That's sort of yep. I, I, I asked a whole character once as well, because I was like having that same sort of dilemma. Yeah. Um, it's sort of like walking in the dark um, with a flashlight. Like you can't see anything past the flashlight, but you don't need to. You just need to see that little circle in front of you. And when you take a step, the flashlight moves. So then you'll see the next step lit up. Um, You don't need necessarily to have it be total daylight in order to move forward. And do you have them like think back on what they've already done and already written or do you not do that to kind of propel them forward into that exciting place? Well, so generally when I'm getting folks, I'm getting folks at the super beginning of their process. So they might have a scene or they might have a premise, or if they are a very different person for me, they might have an outline, which I don't do. Um, But in terms of like, when I, like at that immediate stage, when I get them, most folks are very, very starting. Um, But um, if they are continuing if they like and or if we've done this and they're in one of my year-long like incubator kind of classes um they're absolutely building on what they've done um it's impossible not to uh (laughs) especially since like your brain is sort of in the background working to connect these dots and figuring out what order they might eventually go into uh i encourage people to put them in order ish but be able to rearrange them. Like, so like, don't get married to that order. Don't chisel it into a stone tablet, but like approximately this goes in like the first third. So we're going to stick it up here and this goes probably near the end. So we'll stick it down here. Um, That kind of, that amount of organization. When we get way much farther into the process, um, I might say, okay, now you've got these two scenes and you're pretty sure that this is the order they go into what needs to go in the middle what needs mm-hmm. to go between them. And then we start working that way and we fill in parts that, um, that are, that have holes in them. 
right. But even awesome. then you can so, do it the same way. You can yeah. essentially make a list of everything and then pick what's most exciting and go from there. You don't have to sit down and write the book in the order that it's going to appear. So in one of the students that we had last year in the novel incubator, Susan, she she said, I can only I can only write when I feel joyful, or I can only write when I when I find joy in it. And you can see it in her prose. And it is just so, so good. And so that's what excites me about this, because I can see how it works um, and see how it's worked for her. Do you, however, like today, I was writing earlier today, um, and I was not finding the joy. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. Um, so, so do you have people resist this? Do you have just some curmudgeons? Do you have people are like, oh, this is like, what's the what's the woman that talks about cleaning out your house and only keeping things that keep make you joyful? Um, oh, yeah, you know, Marie Kondo. Marie yeah. Kondo. <laughs> um, and how? How do you get over that resistance in others, and or how do you get over that resistance in yourself? So um, when most of the time the arguments that I hear is that, you know, this is work and if we're, you know, centering joy in the process, we're taking it fundamentally not seriously or less seriously than oh. it should be taken. To yeah. which I respond, um, I believe that you may be conflating joy and pleasure. <laughs> um, now, don't get me wrong, I, pleasure in process is also something I'm really into. And oftentimes that'll look like, you know, desk snack bribery, all my little fancy desk snacks and little fancy bowls and like my teacups, which are like, you know, gold with flowers painted on them. And like, I absolutely like have my pleasure in process stuff too, to get me to sit down at the desk. Um, and I have scenes that are riotously fun to write and I have sentences that are that you know spark that kind of pleasure in me joy is something a little more complex um mm. than pleasure so that's usually my first answer if uh, and if you want a little more thinking about that um Zadie Smith has a great very short essay just called joy um mm. and it is essentially about breaking apart joy and pleasure um mm joy can come in a lot of different forms and it's you know sometimes heart achingly joyful it doesn't necessarily have to feel like good but right. it still feels joyful which is a wild thing to think about we often use those two words interchangeably right. uh, i mention it because the parts where i have a hard time or the part the like the places in my work where i just I feel resistance are the parts that aren't bringing me pleasure. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have to remember that those aren't the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. And what I'm talking about is like, if I hit something really difficult, um, if I hit something particularly difficult that like affects me in my life. Um, Big, for instance, my first book was narrated collectively. So like a we plural first person narrator um, by a fictional subreddit. Um, and that subreddit is sort of more in common with um, something like 4chan. Um, it has a lot of like really cantankerous incel voices that say really horrible things about the protagonist in the book. Um, and so for a lot of that book, I was accessing um, some pretty hateful speech. Mm. Um, and that those are the primary narrators. Nearly everything is filtered through them. 
not all of it, but nearly. Um, and so there were parts where I was like, what am I doing here? <laughs> like, yeah. why is this happening? I had my aesthetic reasons for it and I had my intellectual reasons for it. And so where I found the joy was in poking people's bruises. Like this is the only place in my life where I get to be like, I am witnessing harm and I'm going to make people feel this harm, but there aren't, there are only imaginary consequences. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is the power of fiction there. And that is a joyful thing to do. That's playing pretend like that's, and it is playful, even though it matters and even though it's painful. Um, Yeah. And so that, like, that's my primary answer is that there is joy in all of, all of that other stuff too. Um, I, you're trying to, cause lots of times you do have to create that sort of harm in order to bring out the humanity of the character, um, to get past possibly the bras and possible asshole walls <laughs> that they put up or or whatever whatever things they're using to protect themselves to really get to to their to their humanity and kind of show that on the page um and reveal that to the reader and then also it's an opportunity for growth um yeah and i can imagine how that would be joyful like you're you're really trying you're trying to tap through all sorts of false layers of things I have a friend, um, Calvin Kosolke, he wrote several people are typing and he described it to me um, a while back. And I have thought of it since that sometimes in those moments where you're just writing something where it's like, objectively, this is not joyful. You know, I'm writing a really hard or horrible scene. Um, He likes to think of his characters as actors and that what he needs to do is give them a star and role, all of them. Um, And so even when they're, you know, even when they're undergoing something really difficult or even when they're doing something really horrible, like the point is that he gave the actor an interesting thing to do. Um, And that like, if it's not an Oscar worthy role, it's not any fun to play. Um, Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way of getting at it as well. Um, that when you're going through the hard stuff in a book, if you just picture everyone popping up and taking a bow at the end, <laughs> that it might be a little bit easier to, to execute. Yeah. Wow. And so you have followed this process for both of these books that you're, that you have published and are getting published. Yes. Um, I, I will say I didn't start, I like, I figured it out. I figured out this process with my first book. So I absolutely did not start that way. I started my first book in graduate school, which as, as mentioned was, you know, a a sort of seat of people who imagined that if we weren't really upset while we were writing, if we weren't tortured all of the time, um, that we weren't doing it right. Uh, And so like, I absolutely had some of that going into the first draft of my first book. And when I figured out that it wasn't working, I switched tactics. Ah, okay. I figured out it wasn't working because I wasn't doing it. Like I wasn't doing it. I wasn't moving forward, even though I couldn't stop thinking about it. Right, right. And then as you switch from the first draft to revise, how do you carry that forward? Um, so this is actually something that I'm 
like even struggling with right now. So that's the other thing is like, you don't decide to be joyful <laughs> and then you're happy forever. And you don't decide to center joy in your process and then you never have a bad day. Um, so that's just like my little disclaimer on that. Like I, I am right now trying to bring my first draft energy to my revision process. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I love about first drafting is, as I mentioned, I don't outline. So I'm doing all of this and I'm doing that flashlight thing. I'm discovering what's happening. And that to me is the most exciting part of writing. So when I get to my second, third, fourth, fifth draft, I drafted Eliza eight times. Um, when I get to those places, I'm like, but I know what's going to happen already. And that is less joyful for me. But the secret is that I don't, I don't know what's going to happen already. Uh, because every time you do this, every time you reapproach the work, like there is something that is surprising and there is something that you figure out and there is something that changes. And that's, that's what revision is all about. Um, I believe it's in Craft in the Real World by Matthew Salasis, where he's literally like revision, like yeah. to re-see, to see yeah. again, to see differently. Um, and so in terms of bringing that spirit to revision, that's sort of the ethos of it particularly what it might mean is that I don't revise, I might not revise linearly either, depending on what I'm doing. Um, if it's something where I'm going for consistency um, and I'm reading it all the way through, I might go ahead and read it all the way through. And that's that, like, and I start at the beginning and go to the end. And that's unavoidable because that's the reading experience. But I might read it out loud so I can hear it differently. Um, or I, I have students who swear by making their computer read it back to them. Mm. Uh, and so like they can hear um, different things about it than if it was just in their own head. And that's joyful, that's fun. That's, you get to play in it in a totally different way. Um, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm however um, not doing a linear revision, which right now I'm not, um, I am jumping in in places where I know like events of the plot need to change. Um, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to do the most fun parts of it. There's also a part in the book that I'm working on right now that um, my editor has requested um, a pretty major change and an expansion. Um, mm. And the my next book, Awakened, is about witches. And the entire time I've been writing that book, I've been writing with tarot cards. Um, and so... <laughs> All the chapters are names of tarot cards I would pull, I would put the tarot card in front of me and I would write the chapter that that tarot card suggests. I am super witchy and woo. I have a bunch of tarot cards. I read my own every morning um, over my coffee. And so <laughs> like uh, there is this sort of element of like gamification or like a divine random quality that you can apply to revision as well. So like I'm inside one of those expansion points and I now have a whole book with a whole plot and I know what's supposed to happen, but then I pull my tarot card and I mess it up a little. Um, and that makes for just a more complicated plot. And I find that extremely joyful. It's so fun. It's like a puzzle um, yeah. trying to like do that in like a little isolated bubble in the middle of your plot and then plug it back in after. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And then, so, and oftentimes with my students, I refer to writing a novel as like a, a climbing, a, a climbing a mountain and that 
as you have the peak in front of you, you can't see what's on the other side. Um, but that's the area where there's discovery, there's growth. That at that point, you can do anything um, before it's laid down. And then generally, you'll hit the top of the mountain and you can see the road before you in your revision. But that also means that it's all laid out for you and you don't have as many choices. Now, it sounds like with you though, you're, you're arguing, no, you still have choices and obviously you still do. And I think I give them that, that mountain metaphor for my students that are nervous about not planning. They don't like that dark space. They don't like to see in front of them. I'm like, well, eventually you will get to the top of the mountain and you will miss this place. <laughs> you will miss this place of discovery and they don't believe me. So how do you, um, how do you move students that are, that are real planners that are, that are much more nervous about the unknown? How do you get them to step forward into that? that darkness with that small flashlight? <laughs> so I have certainly had students that are planners. I have friends that are planners. Um, and essentially like what I am learning as a person who does not and cannot write an outline, like uh, I, I, that to me is, it, I would never have any books. If, if I, <laughs> if I had, was forced to outline them first, it would never happen. Um, but what I'm realizing is that thing that I do where I like brain dump everything. And then I have a list of like, here's what I could be working on today. Let me pick one and like, go for it. That's, that's kind of an outline. And you can do that in an outline step and then order it and make yourself a map. If you are a person that needs a map before you turn your flashlight on and step into the darkness, you can have that. Um, and you, but you are then discovering your map. Right. You are making right. that and you're just moving that part of the process and then putting it in an order first. Um, and that's totally fine. Everyone is different. It yeah. is, it is, it would be a waste of everyone's time to insist that there is one way to do this. Yes. And one of the, like, so in my students, I had someone in my, um, I, I teach a queer and trans novel generator for catapults. Um, all of the artists are queer or trans or queer and trans and uh, not all the books are but all of the artists are um, and I had one person um, doing a graphic novel um, and both both as the visual artist and as the writer um, they can do both and I know they can do both because I was also their editor <laughs> for five years at a publication that I worked for um, nice. within the queer community um, and I remember, so like thinking back to when we worked together, I remember asking them to outline first so that I could correct spelling and grammar before mm -hmm. they hand lettered. And right. I was like, I think that's going to streamline the process um, instead of you handing me a, like a, fi a finished thing. And then you have to go back and like undo your hand lettering. If I'm like, comma doesn't go there, um, like, and respace everything. I think it'll be easier if you give me the text first. Yeah. Um, and of course this is, you know, we're, that was a sort of crunchy upstart publication. That's, you know, what I suggested is like generally how it works in the world, but we were our crunchy upstart publication. And so we were figuring it out. Um, but this comic artist came back and I was like, okay, where's the outline? And they just handed me a finished thing. And they were like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it that way. I had to draw people moving. I had to do that. So then fast forward, they're in my class. Um, okay. And I get on the phone with them and they're like, okay, 
I feel like I really need to do this outline. This is the way it's supposed to work. You know, this is how, like, this is, this was not their first book. So they were like, this is, I know how it works. I know what the rodeo is like. Not my first rodeo. I need to do this outline. I need to do this outline. I'm so stuck, but I need to do the outline because it's going to save me so much time if I can just do the outline. Um, and I was like, okay, hold on. I know you. Yeah. And I've known you for some years now. And you just said, I'm so stuck. I'm so stuck. It's going to save me time. I'm not writing. I'm not moving, but it's going to save me time if I can just do this in an outline and not draw it out. And I was like, what if you just drew it? What if you just drew it right now? And then you can backwards fill an outline that you need in order to hand it to someone. But what if you just drew it? Because the truth is you're not moving. You're not yeah. going forward. You might be spending as much time doing this part torturing yourself about how you need to do it this way that you would have spent just drawing it, even though that's technically the slower way. Yeah. And if you fight yourself, you're going to wind up just spending that much time fighting yourself instead yeah. of just going with what is natural for you. It doesn't yeah. matter that the rest of the industry does it a different way. And I can also guarantee you that not every one of them does because everybody is different. Yeah. Um, so that's the, that's the story I like to tell. Yeah, excellent. Uh, and as a, by the way, um, the book that they, that that author was working on just sold. So I want to um, let you know that it's Archie Bongiovanni um, and they've got one coming out and then this other one on the way. So definitely go work out. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. Um, so follow the energy, basically follow what's ever allowing you to move forward. Don't not following what, preconceived ideas of what someone else has told you about process or something, find whatever is, is giving you energy and moving forward. Okay, we're going to have to go. I absolutely love this, Austin. Um, for everyone else, you can find our full March writing schedule on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. Subscribe for updates. And if you want to join our daily webinars in March, you can email me at 7amnovelist.substack.com. You can also find the podcast version of these webinars on Spotify, Apple, and other podcast platforms. And if you like what we're doing, follow, rate, and review our podcast so that we can reach other listeners. All right, Austin, I'm going to have to let you go and get some writing done. Are you going to be able to get some writing done today? Absolutely. In fact, uh, every single day I do this thing called London Writers Salon, which I highly recommend you try out. Um, London Writers Salon, uh, if you go to writershour.com, you can find it. And they do eight in the morning uh, to nine in the morning writers hour, but they do it four times a day, chasing eight in the morning across the globe. So no nice. matter what time you get up, you, you, can, you, you can go right with that. Um, so I'll be writing really at the Pacific hour at 11. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much, everybody, for being with us. And let's get you back to your writing chairs. Happy writing. And thank you so much, Austin. Thank you for having me.